Hello, and welcome to the Nova Summer, a semi-weekly series of conversations with the artists, activists, thinkers, and leaders who are shaping what it means to be queer in the post-equality era. This week, I'm joined by the very gracious Goddess Moon. Moon is the first woman of color to hold the Ms. Los Angeles leather title, and the first person to hold that title after its 17-year hiatus. I've had the pleasure of interviewing Moon several times in the past for pieces on leather culture and polyamory. This particular interview took place a couple of months ago, shortly after her elevation to the Ms. LA leather title. We have a great conversation, ranging from topics like off-label uses for electric flyswatters. waters, issues of race and gender inclusion within the leather community, the pressure to live up to the example set by her sash mother, Shay Flanagan, and what it means to have a leather heart. And since this is the last weekend of LA Fetish Pride, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to share. So without further ado, here is the goddess me. And you came in, the air went out. And all those shadows there, Filled up with down. Call is now being recorded. How are you today? I am doing really great, actually. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well, you know. Um, Starting a new title and all that. Congratulations. Is this still a good time to talk? Yes, it is. Excellent. Well, let's just dig into it. You are the inaugural holder of the return of the Ms. Los Angeles leather title. How does that feel? It feels amazing. It is really exciting. I'm still a little bit in shock, but I'm really excited for what this year is going to bring and the opportunities to represent Los Angeles. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. So, uh, let's see, where should we start? You know, I was just speaking to Stanford at the fight, and at, at three times, I think you're the person now, uh, other than Mondo Guerra, that I've interviewed most in my career. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think it's pretty great. So, you are the first person in 10 years to hold the title News Los Angeles Leather. 17. 17. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about two things, like, both how you feel personally about stepping into this role and what you think this title means for your community. For me personally, it's a great opportunity to represent not only the BDSM community of Los Angeles, but also the women and people of color. We definitely are making strides to making our own space and to having a voice within the BDSM community, both women and people of color. And I think by having a title holder who represents kind of a large portion of our community is a wonderful opportunity, and it gives others the ability to dream, to say yes. This community is for me and represents me, and that's a wonderful opportunity. When you were coming into the community, were there people that you felt looked like you, that represented you? Did you have leaders and mentors that you recognized? 
when I first came into the community, there were very few people of color out and about. You might have seen an Asian person, a Samoan, a Latino at an event, and you basically kind of like, okay, so there's another person of color. I'm not all alone. Over the years, it has grown immensely to where we're holding our own space. Are there people who still feel that they don't have a space within the L.A. BDSM leather community? Yes. And that is what I and the um, the group Onyx that was started last year out here and different factions were trying to let people know there is a space for you. You are welcome within the broad community and so is, um, i'm enjoying that fact is uh is onyx just a men's group onyx is a men's group they have a female component called the pearls oh nice okay and there is talk of starting up a pearls out here in los angeles which i'm very excited about that's very awesome there's famously or Perhaps famously is the wrong word, but um, I have I have uh, friends who are persons of color who are guys who have perceived and experienced a lot of racial tension in the Leatherman community. I've had guys express to me, um, black guys especially, that they feel, if not unwelcome, not entirely welcome. Do you experience those same tensions in the women's community? Have you witnessed what I'm talking about, or am I? No. Um... I have not felt that. I've been very fortunate in who I've been able to connect with within the communities, the women that I've met, the women that I've connected with, the women that I consider friends and family have always been very welcoming. Could there be tension? Yes. I fortunately haven't felt it. For the men, I can't really speak on that. I'm very new to the men's community, as in I've only kind of really been a part of it for the past year. But even the men have been very welcoming for the most part. For me, I don't think that has anything to do with my race. I think it has to do with me being a woman. But the men's community that I have become friends with and that I associate with have all been welcoming and very open arms and open-hearted so, and I think with the start of Onyx, those tensions that have been felt are definitely decreasing because we are we are holding our own space. And we right. are saying we're here. And whether you like it or not, we're here. So get used to it and deal <laughs> with it because we're not going anywhere. I think that's an important aspect. Yeah. I think it's just kind of clicky and unwelcoming about Los Angeles' queer community in general. If you have a team, it makes everything in the city easier. You know, yes. like this can be a very lonely and alienating place when you're by yourself. Very true. Very true. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about how you came to identify as a member of the leather community. First of all, I'm like I don't, I don't think we've ever like I've ever explicitly asked you, but how do you identify as, as your orientation? The very easy way for me to put this is what I always say: 
I am a black, bisexual, poly, Wiccan, dominant switch. That is all of my labels wrapped into one. <laughs> Short, sweet, and to the point. I like it. So how did you come to be a part of uh, the Olympic community? Where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, to a very uber-Catholic West Indian family. My um, mom's side of the family is from Trinidad and Tobago. I'm part of the first generation of Trinidad Americans in my, in my family. My dad's Southern. He was born in North Carolina. Okay. So, yeah, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland in the summer of 79 and <laughs> just kind of lived. And then when I was 10, my mother got sick and tired of pretty much what was going on in her life and moved me and her to California. Started in Fullerton, ended in the beautiful city of Irvine. And that's where I am today. My start in the community, I took a human sexuality class in college. And the professor was awesome in that she would have panels come in for whatever topic she was talking about. So if we were talking about porn, she had porn stars come in, and we were able to ask them questions, Mm -hmm. transsexuals people from PFLAG and also the Campus Gay Straight Alliance would come in and speak. For BDSM, she had members of the BDSM community come in and talk about how they got their start and how long they've been in the community and what their favorite fetishes were. And then they would have a show and tell of their favorite toys. And when I took the class, one of the gentlemen had, it looks like, an electric tennis bat, like a tennis racket. It's actually an electric fly swatter. Yeah, I have one of those. Sorry. (laughs) And, yeah, and we use them in in the community (laughs) um, for electric play. And he went around the class and said, anybody who would like to try it, try it. And I did, and I was like, ooh, that looks fun. Do it again. And after the class, the professor was like, there's some people that you should meet, that you should go talk to. And the people she was talking about was an organization called OCLA, the Orange County Leather Assembly. Uh-huh. And they did workshops and presentations, and some of the members had private play parties. And that's where I started, back in 1999. And I met a wonderful woman, and I was of service to her, um, college submissive, for about two and a half years. And when I had learned all I could learn from her, she gifted me a pair of boots and sent me on my way and said, I've gotten you to where I can get you. It's time to spread your wings and fly. And I was like, okay. Wow. And the first L.A. event I ever went to was DomCon, which is hosted by uh, Mr. Cyan with Sanctuary Studios. And I went there by myself, completely terrified, but also knowing that I needed to expand my horizons and see what else there was and met some wonderful people like Mistress Melissa and Sir Nick and Master Aragon, uh, Orpheus Black. I met all of them my first year attending DomCon, and I, I was fortunate that I got to meet them before I knew their reputations and their personas because I don't think I would have talked to them if I had. Because these are leaders of our community. These are very well-known, internationally well-known people. And here I am, a virtual nobody. And I'm getting to talk to them and hang out with them. And started attending, uh, it was Passive Arts back then, and it's now become Sanctuary. But started attending parties and 
getting to know people in the community and and getting to learn from these people and ask them questions and talk with them. And so I started with leather and then moved into more of kink, into the kink community. Then I met my best friend, who's also my sister, my kinky sister. And with her and helping guide her through the community and through the lifestyle, we both kind of moved back into the leather scene. And it was just a gradual progression in that realizing that the people I was hanging out with and the events I was supporting and the places I was going were all leather and supporting my my leather brothers and sisters and all of their events and all of that stuff. I was having a conversation with someone about six years ago and they're like, they're like, so what do you think of the women's leather community? And I'm like, I guess it's okay. I, I really don't know. I'm not leather. And they were like, yes, you are. I was like, no, I'm not. I know leather people. Like, I know leather people, and I'm not leather. And and it's that weird kind of thing where you see those that you hold to a higher regard, and you see what they do, and you see how they are. And it, sometimes it's it's a little difficult to put yourself in, in that space because you do hold them to such a high regard, and sometimes it's it's harder to hold yourself to that same that same pedestal. Sure. Yeah, I, I I totally understand. You know, I'm, I think in previous conversations we've talked about how I'm, if I'm part of any community, it's the fairy community. And part of my reluctance, I think, stems from the fact that on some level I don't feel like I'm fairy enough, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, my life is full of these beautiful, ethereal, gender queer, amazing, sacred monsters. But no, yeah, it's really strange. It was talking to several of the leather people that I knew and that I held in a high regard and trusted what they had to say, that they were like, oh, you are leather. I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, yes, you have a leather heart. You, they, and, and, uh. What is a leather heart? A leather heart is about giving. It's the ability to give and support and to love your fellow brothers and sisters without expecting anything in return. And it took me a couple years to kind of go, oh, yeah, that is me. And still sometimes I struggle with it because I don't see what I do for my community as anything of grandeur. I'm just being me. Someone needs help. I will help them because I'm naturally of service. I go to a bar and I try to at least acknowledge everyone there. That's just who I am. I don't see it as anything to write home to mom about kind of way. (laughs) But there are those in my community who see what I do and are thankful for it and have acknowledged me for it. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. Every time somebody says, thank you for helping or thank you for doing this, I'm like, it's not a problem. Don't worry (laughs) about it. You don't have to thank me. If someone needs help, I'm going to help them if I can. If somebody is standing there looking like, why am I here? I'm about to leave because I feel awkward. I'm going to go up and talk to them because I don't want anybody to feel like they don't have a space, like they don't belong. That's where my level comes from. This is this is this is editorial and not interview, but you are very uh, well regarded. People have a lot of affection for you. You, you touch a lot of people. Seriously, 
I'm, Thank you. I'm, uh, I've not heard a crossword about you. Let's shift gears again a little bit because I want to talk about your victory and I want to talk about your plans for the future. Okay. Um, <laughs> Because I'm 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 curious I'm I'm curious about the scene that you shared with the judges that um, helped secure your title. <laughs> that was an awesome fantasy. I will say yeah. I had so much fun, and part of what made it fun was my family, the other people in my fantasy. That's what made it so much more fun for me because we got to be us. My fantasy for Miss Sanctuary when I won last year was when daddy's away, the girl will play. Uh-huh. And so I have a friend of mine who is a beginning to become a fetish model. And so I was like, you're going to be in my fantasy. We're going to tie you up in rope and I'm going to be all sexy, sexy with you. And she's like, okay. So the stage is set like a playroom in anyone's house. It's got a table and chair. It's got a spanking bench. It's got some toys. Like, um, the basics. You know, my girl's sitting um, in position on her knees, head down, waiting for me to come in the room. I walk in, I walk on stage, I take off my collar, and I put it on the table. But it slides to the floor, but I don't see that. So uh-huh. we start playing, the music starts, we start playing. And then as we're playing, I hear Daddy's motorcycle come up, and he's always playing really loud music. So Daddy's music starts playing. Me and my girl start frantically running around, trying to clean up the playroom. I throw her underneath the table, and she grabs my collar and hides it underneath the table. So I fix up everything, and I get into first position, holding Daddy's drink. Just a little side note. Not only am I a dominant switch, but I'm also part of the little community. So my actual Daddy for my little is who I had in my fantasy. So my daddy comes on stage and grabs a drink and starts petting my head, and my daddy realizes I don't have my collar on. So she starts stroking my neck, and then in the music there's a record screech, and that's when I let the crowd know I've realized my collar's not on. <laughs> so then I start running around the playroom, to the Jeopardy theme, no less, running around the playroom trying to find my collar as my girl is underneath the table, puts her hand out with my collar and is waving it around trying to get my attention. And the crowd sees it, but I don't. And they're laughing and they're enjoying it. And then finally, both my daddy and I look down and we both see her at the same time. My daddy grabs her out from underneath the table, starts walking out with her. I plead with daddy not to take her away. And I get punished for being a bad girl and I get spanked on stage. My daddy, I love her to death. I told her it was just for play, but I got six very hard whacks with a paddle on stage for my fantasy. And the crowd loved it. I was sore. Uh (laughs) And at the end, Daddy let me keep my girl and put my collar back on. So for my fantasy for Miss L.A., I just did a continuation of the story. So people who were at the Miss Sanctuary contest got the connection between the two. The people who never saw the Sanctuary Fantasy, this was a brand new story for them. Uh And it was basically the evil stepsisters torturing the new girl. Okay. (laughs) Um, So we set up the playroom. Uh, The playroom's a mess. Daddy is sitting in a chair getting boot blasts 
by the, well, was the current Southwest bootleg Shelly. Daddy's getting bootlegged in the corner, and us girls are cleaning up the cleaning up the playroom. It was my sister, my kinky sister, and she had a, a shirt that said Big Sis on it. Mine said Little Sis. My girl from the previous fantasy, hers said Little One. And then, of course, my good friend, who was actually petitioning to be a part of my family, her shirt said New Girl on it. So it starts okay. out... We come in, we're cleaning up the playroom. I tell my, I tell little one to go pick up something and put it in a different spot. My sister stops her and says, no, go pick up this. And we start pushing her back and forth, telling her what to do. And we're looking, and both me and my sister are looking at each other like, would you stop? I'm trying to get her to do something. Daddy gets annoyed with us, pulls little one off stage. And then, I don't know if you've ever seen the old movie, White Christmas. Uh-huh. There's a song that two, the Hind sisters sing called Sisters. And it's a cutesy little song about these two sisters who love each other but are always just going at right, each other. Right. And so that song comes on, and me and my sister continue cleaning up the playroom, but we're fucking with each other. And we never actually practice that part because me and my sister can be bratty to each other. We're just like, we're going we're to just go for it. Just okay be as bratty as possible and the crowd loved it i kicked her in the ass she kept throwing shit over my head it was great and so we did this whole thing and then all of a sudden daddy walks back in with the new girl and tells her to help us clean up and as Uh. soon as daddy walks out the room my sister and i start cracking whips at the new girl (laughs) just torturing her and there's a picture on Facebook's motorboat Robert took photography that night. And there's a picture of the new girl who had jumped off stage trying to get away from the whips. And my sister and I are in the process of cracking right behind her. And she oh, has God. a hair on her face. It's an awesome picture. But, yeah, so we just – she kept running around the crowd, and we kept crashing at her, making her move from, like, space to space. And then Daddy walks back in, and we're like, what? We didn't do anything. We're angels. And Daddy's like, clean it up. And Little One, of course, is off in the corner giggling at the new girl because, well, she's not being tortured anymore. Uh And we all – we pick up everything in the playroom, dump it on the new girl, and walk off stage. So, yeah, it was awesome. It was an amazing time to just have that that moment of fun and just lightness on stage, especially in a contest, because it can be extremely stressful. It um, sounds like you really benefited from the support of having your leather family there. Yes. Who are these people, and, like, well, like what, do they, what do they mean in your life? Like, you say family, like... Four years ago, I started with my sister Mia, and we have another sister, but her name's Sin. We started a leather family. It's called Circle Daybreak, and we are three dominant women who believe in having kink your way. There's no particular way or journey within kink or leather. How you go about your journey is yours, and we just want to make everybody's journey as much about them as possible. And so if you're a part of our family, we help you with mentoring. We help you with guidance. We will help you with 
exploring different types of kink and fetishes, whether it's us playing with you or us helping you find someone to play with. We don't believe that you have to do this or you have to do that, but we do feel that you need to have a good foundation of history, both kink and leather history. Without knowing where we came from, you truly don't get a good grounding in knowing where you're going. And so we believe in in helping them and guiding them through all of that, but letting them be them. That's what our family is about, and they have been an immense and wonderful support. If it wasn't for my sister Mia as my sanctuary, the first three months I would not have been able to get around to any events because I didn't have a car. And if she wasn't able to go with me, she literally handed me her keys and said, go. Oh, um, they, yeah, they have always been a great support to me. Pixie Mary, who is a very good friend of mine, I've known her for over 20 years, is now coming into her own, and she's petitioning to be a part of our family, which I think is amazing. My daddies, I have two amazing daddies, Goddess B and Sir Bull. They're both amazing women in their own rights, and I'm truly blessed to have them as parental figures in my life because they are true guidance and support for me. My friend Amber Marie, which we affectionately call Little One, who, without knowing truly about our community and what it's about, full-heartedly said, I will be there for you and I will be in your fantasies, and was amazing. And is finding her own way in, in what she wants to do and is just a great support. The women of STS, the Southland Title Sisters, coming out and being a vocal support for me in in my contest and just being a visual support somewhere I can look in the audience and know that my sisters are there and everything else and the men of our community. I was so honored to have so many of the men of the L.A. community be there and also help. The current Mr. Sanctuary, Michael Morales, and his friends came in Friday and Sunday and helped set up everything and tear down everything. That was above and beyond. I was so, so honored that they were willing and able to do that. Having people come from Canada, from San Diego, having people from all over, from the Bay Area, come out and support this title was such a blessing. And I know that it touched my producer, Shay, immensely to know that she was so supported also. Ah, Shay. Shay's great. I love her. Uh, She's got to be proud as a peacock, so to speak. Yes, she is, because she was was the very first Miss Sanctuary, and then I I took the title from her, and she then proceeded to work on getting the Miss Los Angeles title back and was immensely successful in it. And to then become the first Miss Los Angeles in 17 years, the fourth Miss Los Angeles ever, was wonderful. And to know that I went from being Shay's sash daughter to Shay's title holder, I, <laughs> it's... It's a humbling and gratifying experience. One of the great things about having Shay as my sash mommy for a year before stepping into this role was 
when I won my title, I looked at her and I said, I'm just letting you know I'm not doing half of what you did. It's not possible. And she looked at me and she said, do you. You do you. Don't worry about trying to be me. And that's what I did as Miss Sanctuary, and that's what I will continue to do as Miss L.A. One of the things that I truly want to do, because I feel passionate about it, is I want to become a voice for women in prep. The women's community as a whole, whether gay or straight, is not really being represented, and especially women of color, dealing with the religious aspects of our cultures of many people in our in our community is not able to be themselves, to live their truth for fear of religious and community persecution and being disowned by our families and our communities if we do come out as gay or bi or trans or whatever. And the reality that a lot of our men are living down low lives, whether it's the black community, the Latino community, um, a lot of people in the West Indian communities are living, the men are living down low lives, and publicly they're these wonderful straight men, but when they leave the house and they are outside of their communities, they are being with men, and some of them are not protecting themselves, and as a result are not protecting us as women. And in our cultures, we feel that using protection means that we don't trust our partners, that we don't love our partners. I want women to know that you can love him and he can love you, but that doesn't mean that you're his one and only. And so we need to know our statuses. We need to know our partner statuses. If you have one partner or a hundred, you need to know the status of everybody you're sleeping with. And if that's not possible, you need to protect yourself whether it's using condoms or being on PrEP or being on both. I think it would be wonderful if everybody was both on PrEP and still using condoms, but that's not the reality. And so I want to be a voice for the women. I want to be a voice for people of color and saying, look, we need to protect ourselves. I think that that is an incredibly noble mission. I don't know how much you know about my history, but I'm a, I'm a passionate PrEP advocate. If I do say so myself, I'm a treasure trove of information so on PrEP. So if you need anything, I'm happy to help you. I do want to push back a little bit on something because I think it's a very important point. Because uh, men of color, uh, men who have sex with men of color are the most likely to use protection of any of the MSM. There is a popular notion of the DL man who doesn't use condoms and protect his woman, and scientifically, it, like, it doesn't bear out. Like, DL guys are more likely to use condoms than most gay dudes. Uh, they just, they are operating in environments that is uh, un- unbelievably high levels of HIV around them. Untreated. Yeah. Makes it material. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry. I just, like, I always, like, it's one of those small, like, things that I always feel like I need to step in and correct because... Oh no! I feel, like they should get, I, I feel like I, black men should get the credit for like like they are so much more likely to use condoms than white gay men. It's unbelievable. Um, so I, I always want to like give them that credit. Absolutely, absolutely, and thank you for that. We always need to be learning. That makes me a better person and makes me a better advocate. I feel exactly the same way. Thank you so much for taking this time to talk to me. I um, I'm 
super excited for you and for your tenure as uh, Ms. Los Angeles Leather. You know, maybe I'm a little biased because this is my third interview with you, but I think it uh, <laughs> couldn't couldn't happen to a more deserving person. And I'm excited to see what you are going to do. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about what the universe has for me for the next year and beyond. I'm truly excited and humbled that my community picked me. There's the video floating around of the moment when I won and the look of shock on my face is not fake. <laughs> I Miss Bullet Tuesday was an absolute joy and Persephone, the president of the Girls of Leather, they were both absolute joys to have as competitors and they gave me a run for my money and so when they said the new Miss Los Angeles is Goddess Moon, I was like, Are you sure? So yeah, I'm thoroughly excited about what the, what this year is gonna have and bring. It has already started off with a bang, so I'm happy. I'm happy for you, my dear. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Moon, I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. I wanna you do bad things with you. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the goddess Moon. If you'd like more information about Onyx, the SoCal Leather Sisters, and the Goddess Moon herself, you'll find links in the episode description, as well as links to my interview with Shay Flanagan and several pieces that may have helped contribute to. Until next week, for my producer Jordan Goodwin and the Nova Soma, this is Brendan Shukai, signing out. I don't know what you've done to me, but I know it's Manchester. I wanna do bad things with you